2: Hi, this is uh, Gabriel Marcard if we sound a little bit different this week, there's a reason for it. We we taped what I thought was an excellent podcast with uh, Ollie Kay and Julian Lawrence joining me this morning. But unfortunately, we were hit by the technical staffu from hell. Uh, we lost our entire recording. And so uh, we were very grateful to, to Gary Jacob and, and, and Ollie and, and the others who came back on. We did our best to uh, to cobble together. Mm-hmm some form of podcast and uh, uh, we hope that this will tide you over until next week when uh, hopefully we won't have any of these nasty technical issues
0: you're listening to the times go to thetimes.co.uk every goal every game everywhere the times and the sunday times now with goals
3: Hello and welcome to The Game, the football podcast on The Times. I'm Gary Jacob and you're probably not expecting me, you're probably expecting Gary McCotty, but unfortunately we have a technical hitch and I'm going to be like Yaya Sonoga or sat on the Arsenal bench, the type of player you don't want to see.
1: Di Maria with a free kick, it's now or never for Manchester United. Fellaini, great save, That Percy, it's now! They couldn't have left it much later and Manchester United snatch
4: a point right at the death.
3: You are Trafford yesterday, Oli.
4: It was, a, it was a, a, a very good game. One of the best games of the season so far, I would say. I can understand Mourinho and, and Chelsea feeling that his, his team were robbed and, and that, that, that they deserved better because I, I thought they played very well. They, they looked like champions in waiting, really, but, but they, they were just frustrated at the end by the, the, the Van Persie goal, and, and it probably was a relief to the rest of the Premier League, really, because it, it, it did look like Chelsea were about to gallop away into the distance. Mm. And it at least uh, keeps them just about within reach, because they, if you look at their performances, they, they, they do look like um, a team who who can go all the way in this tight race. Chelsea have
3: conceded some late goals this season, obviously, there's one at City, one yesterday, and one at Palace, which made a bit of a nervy ending. Do you do you, do you sense there's any particular reason for that? I mean, people will remember Marino's first spell as sort of once it was 1 0 up, you'd expect Chelsea to go and win 1 0, maybe 2 0, but he shut up shop. Do you, do you think there's anything perhaps different about this team? Are they maybe more adventurous? Or do they give more chances that kind of explains the late goals, or do you think it's just.
4: Well, I, I think. If you look at if you look at the, the two games in question, particularly yesterday, they did try to shut up shop at one 0 and they you know they sent on Mikel, they even sent on Zuma as a as a, a you know, an extra tall player in the box, but precisely in those situations, he you know he, he was put on in midfield, almost right hand side of the midfield position, but but his role was effectively to be a a, a third central defender at set pieces. Clearly, that didn't work because he was the player who I think was closest to Van Persie for the goal, mm. but their approach was very much about trying to shut up shop. And I, I thought they were doing extremely well. I, I know Mourinho has said, you know, with, with reference to the, the free kick and the, uh, the second yellow for um, Ivanovic, he said, oh, well, we could see it coming because we, we knew what the referee was, was doing. But I, I didn't see that United equaliser coming because I, I, A, United seemed to have run out of ideas and, and B, Chelsea were defending so well.
3: When you look at sort of Last season, Marino got, got some great. He got he got a, a victory up at um, Etihad, and he got the he got a victory at Anfield. I mean, he obviously prepares for these the big games so well, and he can work out the opposition. What is it do you think, Ollie, about the, the the opposition managers that they can't work out Chelsea, and they just can't seem to kind of get through. They can never seem to get that first goal, which, which have to bring Chelsea out and maybe change the game. Because once Chelsea have got the goal, it's they're, they're almost impregnable.
4: Uh, it's a very good point, and if you look at the way Chelsea start games, they don't necessarily go flying out of the blocks. Obviously, there have been occasions when they have. I think back to the Arsenal game last season, the six nil. But in general, they they set about you know winning the physical battles all over the pitch, getting their players and Matic and people like that to impose themselves, uh, you know in, in those direct one to one confrontations. And if they go from there, they 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 start by imposing themselves and then they build on it with with their superiority and it's very rare really that you will see Chelsea on the back foot in the the first ten minutes in fact Mm. it's very rare that you will see a particularly open first ten minutes or so in in a Chelsea game Mm. it's like me that way and I suppose one exception this season has been, uh, well, I think Swansea went there and did well, but the game at the Etihad where, 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 they, where they played Man City, Man City did very well for the first half hour or so and, and then um, ended up sort of being worn down a little bit. Then Chelsea went ahead and the late City equaliser, which, you know, if you, if you look at it now, those two late equalisers, which possibly didn't look like they were coming in Manchester, they are the only points, that Chelsea have dropped so far this season
3: it's, it's um, quite remarkable when, when you look at the, the frailties of others You can probably name the 1-11 now which is they've got quite a large squad you could probably, you could name who he's going to pick and that to me is interesting because a lot of the other teams have got squads and they're changing players but he seems to be clear on who, is, who his best 11 are and he's going to use them and use them and perhaps rotate every now and again but not on the scale that perhaps other managers are, are going to do
4: no, he, he likes to rotate a little, doesn't he? He likes to keep, keep particularly that sort of front four players, he, he likes to ro- rotate things around there just to make sure um, that they don't run themselves into the ground mm. because he does like Oscar and, and Hazard to, to do perhaps more running than would normally mm. have come naturally to them. So I'm sure Schurler will get a lot of games. I'm sure Remy and Drogba will share the workload with uh, Costa over the course of the season. I'm sure Fabregas will take a rest at some point and. Nikola and others will come in, but it's 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 a it's a squad. It's a strong old squad.
3: Did they, I mean you, you mentioned Fabregas? Obviously, people were talking about Fellaini playing quite well. How do you see the the first? Now we're at sort of the three month level. How do you see the development with with Man United and Van Gaal and 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 how they are they've they've changed over that period?
4: Curious because they seem to have changed a number of times. Really, I mean it's not yet entirely clear what kind of direction tactically that they, they're going to take and personnel-wise they're going to take. Um, looking back I think we can probably disregard that first few games before Falkau and Di Demir- Maria yeah. and, and Rojo and, and others came in and when they were playing with a with a back three which just didn't work. They had terrible injuries at that time. I think we can dis- disregard those in terms of the long-term trend with with, with United but they... Overall, it's been it's been fairly iffy, hasn't it? It's been. I mean, I think Ferguson said last, time, mm. last night in his interview, "said uh, one step forward, two steps back." Yeah. I mean, normally you would say two steps forward, one step back. Um, but I, I, I would say uh, I don't know whether he got his uh, words muddled up or, or, or whether yeah. whether that whether that's really what he feels. But I, I would say one step forward, one step back, one step forward, one step back, and they have not yet settled into any particular way of playing that, that makes you think we can see the you know the, the nucleus of a really good team here and after the money that they spent i i would say this should be a few points better off than this mm. by now and i think that perhaps the big consolation for them in terms of the, of the points that they've dropped uh, by which i mean before uh yesterday is that you know liverpool arsenal tottenham everton these teams have been um, every bit as inconsistent. Champions League qualification has to be a, a real target for them, particularly after, um, after that late equalise yesterday. But I, I do feel that they should be aspiring to, to be better than they've, um, they've produced so far.
1: It really has been an absorbing second half. Valencia, Creswell, it's a brilliant cross. Sacco! Did it cross the line? It did! It's a magnificent seven in seven for DiAfra Sacco.
3: Across Manchester, there's there's another team sort of licking their wounds. I I was at Upton Park on Saturday and I kind of don't want to tell City fans I was also at... um, Cardiff City last year I was also at Aston Villa where they, where they lost on those occasions so I'm probably a bit of a bad omen for them and I'll, I'll let City fans know where I'm going next where, to follow them but Pellegrini was You've um,
4: presumably done all of their Champions League games
3: yeah, <laughs> I'm there um, um, Pellegrini uh, certainly after all of those defeats he, he comes out and he, 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 he's got a face like thunder doesn't say anything he's a bit like Wenger he's kind of a, a terribly bad loser I mean, the thing that was clear to me on Saturday is that the, the, the holes were just incredible and, 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 and leaving Mangala exposed and, and as, as well as City created so many chances and they probably could have easily won, won the game 4-2, 5-2, they could have easily lost 5-2. It was just, it was, it was incredibly open. Do you feel he's got the, the, the blend right there yet? I and mean, then there's a debate about whether Dzeko should be there, but they, they seemed a bit better when Jovic came on. Is this, is it, it was almost a carbon copy of last season?
4: Back at at, um, at last season, I think they was it something like four points for the first seven away games. something mm. like That there, there, there were a lot of people feeling that Pellegrini was continually being shocked by what he was finding from home teams when when he took City away in the Premier League. It's, mm-hmm. It does seem a little bit like they've been doing the same again. They've been they've been walking into traps almost. The, the, the interview that Aldice did um, with Telegraph. Uh, <coughs> Um, on the morning of the uh, on the the morning of the game, he was talking about how he will adjust for the opposition every time. And, uh, you know, look, what we know, Allardyce will do that. He said, Pellegrini is one who, who won't do that. He will just play his best team or his best players, and he will expect them to um, overwhelm the opposition. And for a spell in the middle period of last season, they were doing that absolutely brilliantly. For a spell right at the end towards the, you know, the side of the run-in, they did it brilliantly and, and obviously it was enough to win the title in a, in a season where there wasn't really a um, totally convincing rival but you look at so often at City and, and there is that feeling there is that impression that you get that Pellegrini just feels well we'll, we'll put Touré and one other in central midfield You know they're good enough and we'll put um, Nasri and Silva as the two or you know, Silva and Navas as the two Sort of attacking players behind him, behind another front too, which was Aguero and Jekyll on, on Saturday. At times it does leave them very open, especially when Torres not playing terribly well at the moment. Especially when Fernandinho and Fernando haven't really had the opportunity to build up any kind of partnership. Mm-hmm. And it does seem complacent at times with with, uh, with the way City approach matches. And, and they you know they have this plan A which works brilliantly when they're able to play games on their terms. But when they're Knocked out of that, you know, they're, they're knocked out of that comfort zone almost. I, I think they sh- they struggle at times, and uh, you know, they, there are various individuals, not least um, Touré and, and company, who, who just aren't playing as as well as they can be.
3: And this is obviously a criticism which has been labelled at Wenger over the years. He's never a plan B. He has a certain style of playing and he will never adapt to, to opposition. When Mourinho and various other managers have found him out, he still doesn't adapt. So it's 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 kind of interesting they both have that kind of that quality. Or, or not quality that characteristic. I mean, one, one thing's going to be clear on Saturday is that Torre didn't really have any responsibility to stay in front of the back four and would, would happily go forward. Fernando found it quite difficult really to to, to protect the, the the back four, and, and of course the fullbacks like to get forward. So it um, it created so many opportunities. Do, do you think they'll set, do you think Oli they'll they will settle that down, or do you? How do you think that will shape over the season? Well,
4: I, I know that the the idea behind. Uh, signing Fernando this summer was that, was that particularly in the Champions League particularly in the bigger games they wanted the option of being able to play Fernando and Fernandinho as a, as a two to stop themselves being overrun in midfield and to play Torre for the, for the forward you know, behind one striker probably Aguero more, more often than not because Fernando and Fernandinho have been injured at times that partnership just hasn't really been seen much yet and, and it's uh, and, and Torre has just strolled around really he, he's played that he's played that sort of deeper central midfield role he hasn't looked happy he's looked a bit of a passenger at times and if the shape is going to be four four two, then it's going to be interesting to see how, how they do it because at the moment Torre is, is not playing well Fernandinho isn't, isn't looking like the player of last season Fernando is, is still trying to adjust and if you were Looking at the city's um, midfielders this season, you'd say the best two so far have been Lampard and Milner, who, who were probably the two who started the season thinking that they won't go to to play at all. So it, it's, a, it's a strange Arsenal city at the moment.
3: If we sort of move to to West Ham, I think people have probably you have to go back probably 10 years to find a mood so effervescent and, and, and the giddy feeling at Upton Park at the moment probably Pardew's time and, 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 and the year where Teve was scoring all the goals to keep them up there's um, certainly a fantastic feeling and, and probably vindication for the owners and sticking with Allardyce and, and probably also for the owners to get more involved this summer in the, in, in, in the players they brought in um, I think Wenger's always Credited with having an encyclopedic knowledge of France, but there's a boy Sacco come from Metz, third division just two years ago, um, and he looks lively, aggressive, and 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 dangerous. I mean, what, what have you made of them and, and Valencia, and and, and obviously the, the other week Liverpool were given a tour of time by by them, and, and and they've done it again to City.
4: Well, the, the players they they bought this this summer were you know almost invariably strong, athletic, muscular, and yet Skillful players. You know, looking at it now, you would say that that they bought they bought very well. But I suppose at the time, certainly until they bought Song, a lot of those players were what you would have called unknown quantities in the Premier League. Yet Allardyce has got this knack of integrating players into a system very quickly. And it seems like there's been a bit of a revisionism about Allardyce over the last. Few weeks ago, as as as, um, as West Ham's results have improved, but I, I think Alaba has always been a really good manager, a really good Premier League manager. I don't, I don't really agree with him when he says he could go and manage Real Madrid and win the European up with him. That that kind of thing. Um, I think his time as a as a potential England manager has probably come and gone. But he is, I mean, his record is, is amazing. He, he's, almost every season with relatively unfancied, unfashionable teams. Mm. He's almost always got them in the top half. And and that is extremely good. The, the one time that yeah, you could really crit- criticise it, I suppose, is, is that first half of the season with Newcastle. Where, where
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds
4: Going nowhere when he got sacked in the January, but they, but they, um, they ended up going further downhill after that, didn't they? And they ended up getting relegated eighteen months later. So yeah, he will always have his critics. It's not it's not for, for every club. It's not for every fan his, his approach. But he is far more flexible with his approach than than people have ever given him credit for. And I, I, I think we've seen over the last few weeks and few months that this is a, a West Ham team who will mix it up at times. But they are they're playing football in a in a an appealing way, and it's and it's winning football and it's competitive football, competitive football, and that's what fans like. That West Ham fans don't want to go there and applaud sideways passes, but but see their team, yeah, you know, beaten every week as was happening under Zola and was happening under Evan uh, Grant and Kurdishly at times. It, you know, they, they they want to see proper proper aggressive competitive football, and that, that that's what they're in the moment. Newcastle look full of invention here. Cabela
1: Peron! Oh they've come from behind and lead 2-1 And once again it's one of Newcastle's substitutes Who play a major part in the goal Cabella with the cross
3: Joining us down the line now is Rory Smith You were at Whitehall Lane yesterday, there Rory I was yeah and, uh, Last week Pocatino was saying there was no quick fix But he expects or hopes to get a trophy within two years Is that feasible?
0: Uh, it depends on which sort of trophy it is, really. I would suggest the Champions League is probably out of reach, uh, as is the Premier League title. Uh, they could get a cup, I suppose, but. Seven you
3: know,
0: Sisters Shields? Yeah, you should have a community shield, I guess. Um, no, no, the
3: Seven, sis- seven Sisters Shield.
0: The Seven Sisters Shield, that, that would probably count. Um, Spurs are just can't be choosers and all that. I, don't, I think the thing with Spurs, though, is that they shouldn't. No one measures success in trophies anymore, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's about getting into the Champions League and then establishing yourself within the Champions League, getting there, staying there. Um, but I think the crucial thing with Spurs, and you'll know this better than me, mate, is that they've got to kind of leave this year almost as a, as a mm. development year and kind of build something this season. And the, the worst thing that Spurs should do is what they normally do, which is struggle a bit, have a few setbacks and sat in the manager and start again. I've, I've got a lot of time for Pochettino. I know that kind of how well he's doing with uh, Ronald Koeman doing with Southampton makes you wonder how much of a part Pochettino played in their success last season. But I, I do believe he's a good manager. He's got, he's got a sort of clear, defined vision of how football should be played. And it'll take him a bit of time to, to introduce that. And I think Spurs have to be patient. There will be disappointing results. We, we know, I, I don't really quite get the logic of it, but we know that teams that are in the Europa League seem to struggle a little bit more after their Europa League games. There's no logic for it, but it's obviously Thursday, Sunday is no more exacting than Wednesday, Saturday. But Spurs will have setbacks this season. They will have disappointing results. They probably won't get in the top four, but they've got to understand, Levy, Daniel Levy particularly, has to understand that this is a year where you build something for next year. You're targeting getting in the Champions League in 2016, not 2015. As long as they do that, as long as they show Pochettino a bit of uncharacteristic patience, I think he probably will get there. The question is, I mean, with Spurs, that's quite a big yes, isn't it? uh, You can never be certain that Levy will function that way. He hasn't done in the past. You know, he sat to the boas after a, a, a positive first season, had a few bad months, and then he was gone. And it's happened time and time again, and, and I think the worry with Spurs really is that that, if, that they're trying to turn a lot in a, in a, a never-ending cycle, a, a repeating cycle of the same thing. Not quite failure, that, that's not fair, but kind of going going nowhere really, just sitting fifth or sixth and not quite cracking it. The, the thing they need most of all is time.
3: You obviously followed Pochettino when he was at, at Southampton. How long did it take him there to reshape things, remodel things, get his imprint? And I mean, last week he was he was saying, well, perhaps it was six months, but. You probably saw that development.
0: Well, it's kind of a phenomenon that fascinate, fascinates me, to be honest. If you get a player who arrives in England and they have one really good game that's on TV against the big team, so you know they, they they come in, they've been there for two or three months, they've been okay, and then they suddenly play really well against Man City or Man United on a sky a Sky game or in, you know in a in a cup game or whatever, then suddenly everyone decides there and then that that player is brilliant, and mm. it, it works in the opposite. That if you look at someone like Dave McKellis De Michaelis makes a couple of mistakes in, in games that are on television for Man City and suddenly he's terrible and everyone ignores the fact that pretty much everything else that he's done has been absolutely fine. You make one or two mistakes and you're written off. And it's the same with managers, that there's a bit of a myth about that first season or that first six months, I guess, where Pochettino was at Southampton after he replaced Nigel Adkins. Because so they played Man City and beat them, I think, and they yeah. did very well against Liverpool. And that kind of tricked people into thinking that they were... The Positino came in and had this immediate impact. He mm-hmm. didn't. They, he didn't actually win that many games in his first season. He dropped he them to safety, and, and that obviously is a, a fine achievement. You can't. I'm not criticising him at all. But there was this idea that he came in, immediate impact, solved it straight away, and they were amazing. It didn't really work like that. He had those, those first yeah four or five months, I guess, where he was he was trying to kind of implement his methods, and results were a bit varied because you are changing the way teams have played. That that's true of any manager. You get very few managers who can walk into a club and change things immediately. Mourinho maybe can. If you look at Guardiola, even he didn't, didn't hasn't done that immediately at Bayern. You know, initially, certainly in Europe at the level that they are, there was a bit of a setback last season. They got battered by Real Madrid. So it does it does take time. The worry with Spurs, I guess, is that there's so many players there that have been signed by so many different managers, mm. and this affected Chelsea for a while. They've all been kind of signed by different managers with different visions of football. They've, yeah. they've been through a few different managers, all of whom have different techniques. And I think it probably I'm not a player so I can't quite I can't quite say for certain how they respond. But you wonder whether it, it gets quite confusing almost that they're not quite sure what they're meant to be doing and do so also like someone like someone like Eunice Kabul, who who at times looks like one of the best central defenders in the Premier League, but suddenly now look, looks like he's he's got a mistake in him, you know, every game. Same with the Tongan. You wonder whether they've almost been exposed to too many different messages, and they're a little bit uncertain about exactly what they're meant to do. And Pochettino will need time, I guess, to work through mm. that that period. But that's that's what I mean about about giving about Spurs having a bit of patience and not panicking. Because if you panic, if you che- if you look for change constantly, that that cycle will never break. Whereas if you if you just say that this season, fine, they might finish seventh, they might finish eighth, for Southampton gonna keep on doing what they're doing, then. As long as they don't overreact and think, right, that's it, this isn't working, let's start again. get... But I, I'm pretty confident Pochettino will get it right. And you saw at Southampton that after a while, his vision of football really did sort of take hold. And you, to some extent, you can look at... He, something he was asked after the game yesterday, someone asked him if he, if he regretted leaving Southampton, given how well they're doing. And he laughed it off. You can tell he was a little bit annoyed by it. He muttered something in Spanish after the game, after the press conference, the Jesus Perez, his, um his assistant, and it was—I don't think he was particularly impressed by the line of questioning. Put it that way. Um, do, do you feel it you, can, a- you can say that either he shouldn't have left Southampton, or you can say that Southampton are actually benefiting from a lot of the methods he put in place, and that Truman's continued them? You can spin it either way. But the crucial thing is that, yeah, I think for that squad that's had all these different managers, they need time. They need time to understand a, a, a new man's methods, and they need time to almost, I guess, have faith that it's worth learning his lessons because. Spurs the last four or five years, it probably isn't. You might as well just let the new manager come in, see what he does, not really take it on board, and then in a few months he'll
3: be set. Do, do you feel from, from seeing him that they've got the resources to play how he wants them to play? Whether Kapui can play that kind of pressing game, whether, whether some of the others that he's got in midfield can actually play that game that he wants, that he had at Southampton, or do you feel that there were players yesterday who just aren't going to be able to adapt to that style and are going to be cleared out in the summer?
0: Yeah, that's that's possibly the problem. That there's a few that aren't that are good footballers. Capullo is a good footballer. Whether he's quite right for that system, I'm not sure. There's a few others in there. I, I, Ryan Mason, actually, I thought was quite good yesterday. He 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 looks like quite a good player. Yeah, having had that weird kind of background that, that Andros Townsend had as well, where he's just loaned out all Absolutely, the time. Yeah. You've got Eriksen, You've got Lamella. I think they both they both fit in quite nicely. I'm a bit surprised that he's sticking with Danny Rose and not gone for Ben Davis. I think Davis is a better fallback. You've got to look at whether whether Kabul and the tournament can play the high line, and play as he wants them to play. All these things take a bit of time. But the thing is that players can adapt. They can adapt to different systems and different formations, but they can't do it immediately. But you have to give them a chance to to kind of get used to things. And that's why you will get these slightly dodgy results early on in the process. and I guess the other thing that should be pointed out is it's a really weird lead at the moment. Mm. If you look at Liverpool, Arsenal, Man United, Spurs, Everton, they're all, even City to some extent, they're all kind of up and down. They don't seem quite sure of who they are. And Spurs are part of that, but Mm. that's a good thing and a bad thing because it obviously means that the others have waited for them. So even though they've had this quite poor start to the season, they're not out of the race for fourth place yet because everybody else is is stuttering as well.
3: So so when you sat there yesterday, you must have looked to your right to see the Newcastle fans who were probably there in sizeable numbers vitriol in the first half, perhaps with some smiles thinking maybe Ashley will finally pull the trigger and then probably couldn't believe it in the second half what, what did you make in Newcastle and their fan reaction and, and Paz must have been over the um, over the moon
0: he, well he was, he was actually, he was slightly less um, I quite wanted him to come in and be all swaggery it was a real manager's victory that if you Absolutely. look at every stretch of the way he, he made the decisions that, that had an impact so he he chose to stick with Iose Perez when, when um, Papi Sissé was ruled out rather than change the system to accommodate a more experienced player. He sent his team out to, to warm up at the start of both halves, very just, just before kickoff, because he felt, he felt that they struggled at the start of, of halves, they struggled to get going. He, um, he introduced the substitutes, he gave them the half-time rollicking. Uh, it, was a, it was a manager's victory. You have to give credit, whatever you think of Pardee, you, you have to give him credit. That everything he did on Sunday worked. And he changed the game around. I suppose the one flaw is that he got his system wrong right in the first place, but that's by the by, he he reacted well and kind of shaped his own destiny and that's an incredibly strong trait. I do think it must be a bit curious being a Newcastle fan at the moment because, and you know, a lot, there'll be a lot of supporters of a lot of clubs who've been in that position where you don't like the manager, you think that the best thing for the, for the club long term is probably getting rid of the manager, but you at the same time want your team to win. So, uh, they were absolutely delighted. Mike Aspie sort of applauded every player off who stood just above us in the director's box. Uh, it's quite precipitous. It looked like he might fall over. That he was sort of applauding and pumping his fist and beaming with this beaming smile. It's a great result for Newcastle It will give them a huge amount of confidence. It maybe doesn't quite address the underlying issues there about whether Pardew is the right man for the job and whether he can kind of get them to wherever they want to be. But then, given that Astley's only apparent ambition is to stay in the Premier League, then there's, there's certainly no reason to get rid of Pardew. And it may well be the case that Newcastle fans have to get used to this idea that. A manager who can occasionally turn things around, and, and he's, in, he's in part he's not a terrible manager, I don't think he's a, he's a brilliant manager by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not terrible. They might just have to get used to the fact that as long as he keeps them relatively close to the mid-table, he's going he's to be there. It'll only be when there's a real threat of relegation that he comes under any threat
2: at all.
3: Now on the line we have Gabby McCotti who wrote an article about Angelotti in today's paper. Gabs, tell us about your article on Angelotti and about the hard work paying off.
2: It was really prompted by um, my, my fascination with um, with the situation at Real Madrid, where you know we, we talk about balance and we have certain ideas of of uh, of players, and you know we label them. This one's a defensive midfielder. This one's a winger. This one's a attacking midfielder. But you know, while players undeniably have certain qualities, certain characteristics, you know, ultimately they're they're guys out on a pitch kicking a ball. And I'm interested in in sort of exploring to what degree you can get guys to do stuff that they're unused to doing. And I think Real Madrid is a perfect example. Last year, they had a a certain balance, thanks in large part to Xabi Alonso and Ángel Di Maria, who are gone. And they were replaced by Toni Kroos and and James Rodriguez, who are very, very different players. And uh, Ancelotti went into the Clasico with effectively four attacking midfielders, whatever you want to define Cristiano Ronaldo as, and uh, and a center forward, and Karim Benzema, and uh, he got these players to work and, and, and to do things that, you know, they're unsuited to doing, uh, unsuited, both mentally because they don't necessarily know how to do it, um, and, and they're not used to it, but probably also physically, uh, you know, like the farmers Rodriguez, um, and Tony Cruz probably not used to doing the, the amount of chasing, uh, that they did on the day.
3: Obviously, you watched the uh, El Clasco on, on on Saturday. What were your thoughts about the game and about both teams' development? And now Suarez is at Barca, and and how that will go forward?
2: Well, I think uh, Luis Enrique, the Barcelona coach, made some very big calls in terms of lineup. Um, that you know, calls that Ancelotti didn't have to make because really his eleven uh, was uh, was pretty much set for him uh, without Gareth Bale. Isco was always the most realistic guy to come in, but. Luis Enrique made, I think, three big decisions. He he played Jeremy Mathieu at left-back. Mathieu, of course, is a left-back by trade, but he's been playing centre-half, and he's been playing centre-half very well for for sort of the last uh, two years almost. Uh, Instead, he moved him to left-back, presumably to neutralise, or to help neutralise Cristiano Ronaldo. That didn't work. In midfield, he went for the experience of Xavi in place of Ivan Rakitic, who... uh, probably uh, has been uh, um, arguably Barcelona's best player this year. And, of course, up front, um, he decided to play Luis Suarez, who hadn't played a competitive match in in four months, owing to to his ban at the World Cup. And I think you probably could have gotten away with one of those decisions, maybe two, but all three, that was just too much, and they sort of had a a cascading effect. The front three of, of Barcelona didn't track, and crucially, they didn't press either. I think a lot of that has to do with simply not being uh, used to playing with each other, um, you know, which is something that, that will come in time. Uh, Xavi got overrun in midfield, and, and again, that was made worse by the by sort of the dysfunctionality of, of the front three. He was put under far more pressure, and you know, at his age, he wasn't up for it. And Mathieu simply had a very poor game at left-back, with the exception of one driving shot, which Vesilla saved well. Um, he didn't you know, he really contributed very little at both ends of the pitch. So I think, in in some ways, you know, Luis Enrique got those things wrong. Although, all that said, on the day, given how well Real Madrid played, I, I'm not sure that, that that even with different decisions, there would have been a different outcome.
3: Thank you so much for your time, Gabs. And I know you'll be back here in the studio next week, and I'll be elevated back to my flat to work. As I described at the start of the show, I'm like Yaya Sanogo, and you're Omri and um, you'll be back in the hot seat next week.
2: I certainly hope
0: so. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification and you're away. Hi, I'm Tim Montgomery, the presenter of another Times podcast from the opinion pages called Did You Read? It's the perfect weekly snapshot of some of the best writing in the newspaper. Find out more by heading to thetimes.co.uk slash commentcentral and search did you read to subscribe on iTunes.